Okay. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to services here in Burlington, in Hamilton, actually. It's a Burlington congregation, but we meet in Hamilton. Welcome to our guests that we have here with us. Also, welcome to our guests who are online. Uh, those of you who are missing a, a few of our, a couple of our members. So we uh, shout out to Brother Costas, Brother Larry, and uh, anyone else. Uh, hate to mention names because then you forget uh, that you might miss a name or two. So I apologize if I've missed any. And of course, our regular followers and those who are joining us, we hope you have a, are having a, a wonderful, blessed Sabbath. We are 34 days away from Passover. We are in the, it's an intercalary uh, year this year. So we're in the 13th month. We don't get to say that often, but it's the 13th month. It's the 10th day. I invite you to rise and we'll ask uh, Brother Dylan to come forward and open us in prayer. Bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I'd like to thank you for bringing us through the, bringing us through this week to your Sabbath and, um, thank you for, uh, everything you've given us so far and, uh, all the things you continue to give us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit and, uh, we ask that you, uh, put a blessing over our services today and, um, especially over our, our speaker, and we ask that you open our hearts so we may take in your word today and uh, make it part of uh, our journey with you. And, and Father, we just, uh, we just uh, are in awe of your, um, your whole plan and everything, and we ask that you, we just, you help us to understand it and and, uh, and know your way. And uh, we ask for these things, and thank you for all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, remain standing. We'll take your hymn books, please, and turn them to page 114. We'll begin there in the, the song service. Page 114. Stand up for Jesus, page 114. Put on the gospel of 
Back to page 39. Page 39. And we'll sing Wonderful Words of Life. Page 39. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see. Wonderful words of life, words of life and beauty, teach me faith and duty, beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life, beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Signs the lesson one gives to all. Wonderful words of life, bitterness to the loving soul, wonderful words of life, all so freely given, given with the heaven, beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life, beautiful words, wonderful words. Wonderful words of life. Sweetly echo the Brother, please be seated. Oh, please, uh, sorry, remain standing. I apologize. I messed that up. We'll have the scripture reading now from Brother Landon. We stand before God when we hear his scripture read here. First uh, John 2, 28 through chapter 3, verse 7. First John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed that we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin 
also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he is manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Now you may be seated. We come to the intercessory prayer uh, portion of our service where we offer up prayers on behalf of those who are sick. We don't have any new prayer requests um, or old ones, uh, really. Um, uh, we are coming into the Passover season. Obviously, we see what's going on around this world with the uh, so many innocent people uh, losing their lives because of uh, evil. So please keep those folks in, in mind, the the uh, uh, folks all over Eastern Europe, Ukraine specifically, and even the Russian people that uh, are, are, are part are, are have been brought into this uh, against their will as well, and all those families that are suffering around the world. And of course, as we come into Passover in just over a month, the body of Christ, uh, may we be uh, preparing, may we be united, may we be about our Father's business as we prepare for Passover. So I will allow, uh, we'll, we'll take a couple of minutes in quiet prayer as we typically do, and then I'll ask uh, Deacon Jan to come forward and offer up our, our collective prayer.
Just brethren, join me in your spirit with prayer together. Loving Father, great God, almighty God, thank you so much, Father, for another week, and especially, Father, for another Sabbath. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful blessing that, again, we have this privilege to meet physically, that we have the chance to just see each other, hug each other, look at each other, Father, and appreciate each, each other's presence here. And as we heard today, Father, we just just a little bit over a month when it comes to your holy time again. And I know as it's physically, as we're looking, Father, it's still snowy and it's very cold. And our minds and our spirit might not be actually prepared or thinking about this time, but help us slowly, Father, to redirect our focus of our minds. Help us, Father, to prepare individually and also collectively, Father, as a congregation before Passover. And help us to see what is important. Help us, Father, to appreciate each other. Help us, Father, to value each other. And, Father, help us to prepare that at any point, at any time, we will be able to sacrifice ourselves for each other. Father, thank you so much again, Father, for this Sabbath. And as always, we're just about to hear a message. We ask, Father, for a special anointing upon the speaker, our elder here, Pastor Agent, who delivered the message for today, Father. As you anoint him, anoint us. Help us hear, Father, what you want us to hear today. And, Father, help us at the end of the day. Just walk home, fully digest them, and prepare for another week. Thank you so much, Father, for everything. Thank you so much for all the blessings, every single one. And just, Father, I forgot here at the end just to pray for all the people that are suffering through this conflict, especially the little ones, the elder ones, pregnant women who suffer so much that they try to flee the conflict. Please be with the people of Ukraine. Please be with all the soldiers who are losing their life for nothing. And, Father, we just can't wait till your kingdom comes. So thank you so much for everything. We love you. We praise you. And we ask you, Father, all those things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Before we get to the message, we have one more time, opportunity to sing praises. So please rise. Take your hymn books. Turn to page 44. 44. We will sing, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. I'm 
Brother, please be seated. We have the opportunity to hear part two of his message he began last week entitled Up from the Grave, Pastor Adrian Davis. Greetings, brethren, those of you here and uh, those online as well. Great to be back with you and uh, certainly grateful, as uh, Deacon Jan mentioned in his intercessory prayer, uh, the appreciation to have one another, uh, to be physically together with one another. And I think to do that in this Passover season and, and not to take each other for granted and not to take the Passover for granted. We don't want to be dramatic. But I think we need to be prepared that this could be our last Passover together as a congregation. We just don't know where the world is going, how unstable it is. So we shouldn't take it for granted. And that means optimizing this opportunity, getting the most out of this Passover and Holy Day season that we can. I mentioned last week in part one that I felt that the Church of God as a whole, not talking about this congregation, not speaking about CGI, just the Church of God. On the whole, we're caught up in the day-to-day. And we're not really rooted in a vision of what is to come. It's the here and now that matters to us. And that leads us to being somewhat superficial in our walk with God. And evidence of this, I pointed to three pieces of evidence. The war with uh, Russia and Ukraine had just broken out. And there's this hysteria worldwide of hatred toward Russians. And we just go along. We just buy in. Now it's time to hate the Russians. We don't understand the complex history of this region. We don't care to look into the history. We're just told by the media, now it's time to hate the Russians. And so we hate the Russians. When aren't they people just like us? Are they the ones who decided to go to war? But no, we hate the Russians because we're told to. 
just as we hate white people because we're told to. We despise the unvaccinated because we're told to. We're just easily manipulated, even in the church of God, and we allow this division to creep into a division that belongs to the world. We allow it to creep into the church. And I said last week, God forbid, if a Russian and a Ukrainian were in the same congregation, being manipulated by mass media. I also pointed to the stain of chronic grudges. That you meet a brother or a sister, and they're upset with another brother or sister, and then maybe you don't see them for a few years. And when you do see them again, they're still holding on to this grudge, this, this, this pettiness, despite the fact that we have been called to, this, to share in this glorious vision. And then finally, I pointed to poor marriages. That in the church of God, the last thing we should see are failed marriages. And yet we see it all the time. Even to the point of adultery occurring in the church of God. That that men and women are engaging in sexual activity with men and women who are not their spouses. Fornication. That people who are here who understand this vision, engaging in sexual activity before marriage. And all other manner of perversity, such as pornography, getting addicted to porn. And, and here we are in this church of God, moving toward this glorious vision. So all of that, I said, pointed to the fact that we really are not rooted in this vision of what God is calling us to. Instead, we're caught up in the here and now. And I used this as an analogy, and unfortunately, some of us wouldn't understand it, but those of us who are older would. Uh, I used this television set that we had. Uh, we really appreciated having it. It was a black and white TV. But sometimes the stations couldn't hold. There was this thing called vertical hold. And, and the screen would just flip. And maybe you bang the TV. You do what you can to try to get the, the, the image to stabilize. Uh, but often you couldn't. And so either we tried to watch it, but sometimes it was so annoying that we'd have to abandon uh, the show or sometimes the TV altogether. So with that, to try to bring this vision of the future into high definition so that it's real, it should in fact be more real than the here and now, because the here and now is passing away. Uh, the future is forever. It's eternal. So in an attempt to crystallize the future, we looked at the resurrections to, to establish from Scripture that there really is life after death. And, and resurrection meaning to stand up. So you think of somebody dying, lying horizontally, and they're dead, it's over, they've perished. And then to see them actually get up and stand up vertically of their own accord, and to be able to maintain that vertical position by themselves because they are fully alive again. That is what resurrection means. And so we looked at a number of scriptures. We didn't look at 1 Corinthians 15. And we can't talk about the resurrection without looking at 1 Corinthians 15 because there is so much detail there. And, you know, we have to be grateful, speaking of gratitude, we have to be grateful for the difficulty 
that the Corinthian congregation gave to the Apostle Paul. Not, not all congregations are so easy to, to work with. The Apostle Paul had a, a hard time with the Corinthians. And yet, because of all of this conflict and confusion, we have these letters to the Corinthian church. And in particular, we have this uh, chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, which has remarkable detail about this future resurrection, because there was dispute about whether or not there even was a resurrection. Let's break in at verse 30. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 30, uh, Paul is making this argument for the resurrection. He says, you know, and why stand we in jeopardy every hour? Our lives are at risk every hour. Why would we do this if all there was was the here and now? Look at our lives. And, and we could say today, it's kind of hard for me to say, look at my life. I'm in jeopardy every hour. Uh, it's, it's not true. What I have to say to you now is, look at my life. Once a month, maybe every six weeks, my life is in jeopardy. Maybe, not, maybe once a quarter. Get a little threat here and there. But it's changing. And, and I believe the way things are going, Pastor Murray and I will be saying to you, if there's no resurrection, why would we be doing this and putting our lives at risk every hour? He says, I protest. I'm, I'm contradicting you by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, I'm going to contradict your position that there's no resurrection by the fact that I stand in jeopardy every hour and yet I'm full of joy because of your salvation. Look at the, look at the path you're on to salvation, which I have helped initiate, and that's my joy. Why would I have this joy in you if there was no resurrection? But by this joy, I die daily. My life doesn't matter to me, and yet I'm joyful because of what is happening in you. If after the manner of men, or we could say following human conduct, human affairs, if after the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead don't rise? So we're not sure exactly what's happening here, but we know that the Romans love to throw Christians in with wild beasts and they'd have to fight for their lives. And maybe this is what happened to the Apostle Paul. And he's saying, why would I do this and risk being torn limb from limb if all there was was this life? So making a very strong argument for them to see how real, even though it might not have been real to them, how much vision Paul had, how clear the future was to him to the point where, he was happy to face. He was not afraid of death because he knew there was more to this life. And then he says, don't be deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And this single verse here, verse 33, is something we need to preach more about. People come to services. They come to these studies. They, they uh, join us online. And the same day, within a 24-hour period, let's not, be, let's not be foolish, they're consuming pornography. They're committing adultery. They're committing fornication. Why? Because evil communications 
corrupt good manners. Who we associate with, who we spend our time with, warps us if these people are perverse. If we're tuning into perverse shows, it's just going to wire our brains for perversity. If, if we're hanging around with people who have low moral standards, it's going to rub off on us. So we should be very, very clear. The church of God has the highest moral standard. And we have no tolerance for perversion. Let it not be once named among us. And let's not be shy to preach about it. Because when we don't preach about it, it gives the impression it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And if we are unclear, if we can't hold the vision, then we think it's okay. Awake to righteousness and stop sinning. Because some don't have the knowledge of God. We do. But some don't. And so if they're engaged in corruption, if they're engaged in perversion, well, that's the human condition. That should not be our condition. Awake to righteousness. Wake up. And stop sinning. And we, we have that choice. We can stop. We can be caught up in something, and it's like a, a, a bout of insanity, spiritual insanity. And then we can recognize, I'm insane. <laughs> I'm, I'm going insane. Stop it. And pull back from that. And, and as uh, Deacon Jan was saying, appreciate our time together as the people of God. Because in the same way, bad, bad um, evil communications corrupt good manners. Good communications, good fellowship creates good manners. He says, awake to righteousness and stop sinning. Some don't have the, the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Shame on us if we're behaving like pagans. Verse 35. But some will say, he says, and I, um, Ramakan, I love the way he preaches. Because this, this is the way, maybe he learned this from Paul. This is the way Pastor Ramakan preaches. Ah, but you might say. And then just, just as, you're, as he's preaching, and just as you're thinking in your mind to contradict what he's saying, he said, some might say, and then he'll just knock it down. And so here uh, Paul is preaching, and he's realizing some are going to ask this question. Well, some might say, how are the dead raised up then? So it's, it's almost like um, a sarcastic question. Well, this person was torn limb to limb. How is he going to come back to life? This person was eaten by piranhas. How are they going to come back? Resurrection. Some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they? The body's gone. The piranhas ate it. So with what body do they come up? You fool, he says. So he's, he's so offended by this. Like you're, you're just, this person who's asking this in this sarcastic manner is so way off that Paul doesn't hesitate to say, you fool. That which you sow doesn't come back to life unless it dies. It doesn't come to eternal life unless it dies physically. And that which you sow, you don't sow the body that shall be, but bear grain. So they're laughing to say, well, what body would it come back with? And Paul is saying, well, even in the natural world, when you sow one body, you reap another. You don't sow the same body that you reap. 
You sow not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It's like the humblest thing. And then you get something else. It may become wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as it pleases him. And to every seed his own body. So this is, this is Paul's doing his best to take this vision that he sees so clearly that the Corinthians have no idea. And so he's trying to break it down to a, a level that it can be easily grasped. And this is this agricultural metaphor that we have all these different seeds and they're going to become different crop. We don't sow the crop, we sow the seed. And as humble as that seed is, it becomes these different bodies so that we would understand as humble, and pardon me for saying, as pathetic as our bodies are, especially as we age. It's hard for, for young people, your bodies aren't pathetic. But for those of us, as we age, we have to grapple with the fact that we're not what we once were, but we're sowing what we will become. So don't look at the seed and think it's just a humble seed. Look at the seed and understand what God is going to make it. And that's what Paul wants them to understand, just as it is in the natural world. He says in verse 39, going from seed now, he says, all flesh isn't the same. There's one kind of flesh of men and another kind of beasts, another of fish and another of birds. Well, we know that. If we have a meal, might have a great steak one day, piece of fish the next chicken or duck, and this is all very different flesh. They're not the same. So he's saying these bodies are all different. And then he says, in addition to the different types of bodies on earth, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one thing, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. So there's these different types of bodies to the point where they're not just different, they're orders of magnitude different. There's a whole different level of glory, even though we say they're bodies. They're, they're, all this, they're all bodies, but there's a whole different level with the celestial versus the terrestrial. Look, there's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For even one star differs from another star in glory. So you get into this whole different level of heavenly bodies. And even among the heavenly bodies, there are differences. And this is what he wants the Corinthians to understand. That we're entering a whole different realm of existence. And in that different realm, there will be differences. This is real. Like really, as you, as you look out into the night sky or the day, and you see these heavenly bodies and you see the glory of them, let that begin to stimulate your imagination. That this is your destiny. You're going to shine like the stars in heaven. But there's different levels of glory. So why get caught up in the here and now, which is perishing, when you've been called to have eternal glory? How glorious? Well, depends on how committed you are. Depend, he's going to reward us according to our works. How, how, how caught up in the here and now are we versus that vision 
of what this is all about. This is all passing away. An eternal world, an eternal kingdom is coming, and we're going to inhabit that. How, how real that is, is going to drive how much we participate in the opportunity to work for God today. Just as we saw the Apostle Paul saying, I don't care. I die daily. Because I've got this, this hold on the future. I, I can see the future. And it's not, I don't have this problem that some of you have where the vertical hold is just slipping. And therefore you're becoming frustrated and disengaged and you're getting caught up in the here and now. I see it clearly, he says. Let me help you to see this clearly so that you can engage the way I am. So he says this, trying to help them understand this as he talks about the, the heavenly bodies and how they differ, even as on the earth there are differences. So also, in the exact same way is the resurrection of the dead. With what body do they come? Different levels of glory. Different levels of glory. This is also the resurrection of the dead, the same way. It's sown in corruption, the same way you're a farmer. You sow these different seeds. They're really nothing to look at. The wind can come and just blow them away. It's nothing. But you sow it, and then there's this glorious crop. It's amazing. This is how the resurrection is. It's sown in dishonor. So don't be looking and seeing people are, maybe they're hunched over. Maybe they've got disabilities. Maybe one eye is out. Uh, all of these funny things that the body does. It's sown, with that dishonor, that brother, that sister, is sowing the crop, the harvest. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There's a different type of body here. And this is really, maybe a better translation would be, it, it's, it's sown a natural body. It's raised a pneumatic body. Pneuma. Like the wind. And this is what Christ himself said, like, when you're truly born again, you're like the wind. So there's something that we're going to be made of, which is glorious, and it's like the wind. There's a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. Verse 49, as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. This is what we need in high definition. This is what we need to hold on. It doesn't slip from us. It's so easy for this to slip. How, how often do we think about our future bodies? How often do we envision a world populated by people like this? Sometimes we do. Hey, we're preaching this right now. Yeah, kind of. And then immediately something happens and you know, CNN tells us what to pay attention to. And I use CNN as a catch-all phrase for corporate corrupted media. That's, what, that's all it is. They're all bought and paid for. And so they, they try to catch our minds and manipulate us. And, and, and to our own shame, we are helping them to build the beast power. 
We're, we're, help, we're, we're doing all we can to, to, to support the building of this infrastructure that's going to slay us. We should have nothing to do with them. Let them go their way, we go ours. Let them speak their way, we speak ours. Because this is so clear. We, we are going to bear the image of Christ. There's no doubt about this. Unless we check out. Verse 52. In a moment, just like that, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, we know this, and when it sounds, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We meaning we who are alive and remain. And uh, he goes into more detail in with the Thessalonians to say, in fact, that those who are dead in Christ, that we who are alive, we won't rise to Christ before them. That Christ gives a special honor to those who have died in Christ. They'll rise first. We'll catch up to them if we are alive. And if we die in Christ and have the honor to die in Christ, we will rise first. And whoever is alive, whoever is remaining, they'll join us to meet Christ in the air. So, you know, when we have this clarity of vision, we shouldn't behave like pagans. Meaning, we shouldn't fear death the way the natural man does. This, this is one thing, no matter how powerful they are, they have no idea what happens when they die. And they carry this angst and this anxiety with them. And therefore, it's easy for Satan to manipulate them. We should be immune to this because of this high-definition vision. So this pneumatic body that he says we're going to have, John 20 gives us a little bit of insight. And some of us, this is, uh, we, we know these scriptures, but good to go over them again. For some, it might be new. For some of us, it might be new. John 20 and verse 19. This is the day of Christ's resurrection. He says, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, listen to this phrase. When the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, and why were all the disciples assembled and why was the door shut? For fear of the Jews. So their lives were at stake. We could say the doors being bolted shut. They, they didn't want anybody coming in because their life was at stake. So the doors were bolted shut. They made sure of that before they could assemble in peace. And in the midst of that high security came Jesus and stood in the midst of them and said unto them, peace be unto you. So this is a glimpse of the beings that will populate the earth after the resurrection. That when we come to life after the resurrection, we're going to have this ability to just appear. It doesn't matter if the doors are bolted. We're, we're, we're on a different level. It's no longer this physical existence. It's a different level of existence where the science of the natural world doesn't apply to us. Drop down to verse 26. He says, And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut again, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. 
So again, we see this ability to just have no regard for physical obstacles. Then he said to Thomas, reach here your finger and behold my hands and reach here your hand and thrust it into my side and don't be faithless, but believing. So here we have a hint that that physical existence before death can be replicated in this new world, in this new body. That when Christ appeared physically, he was recognizable because of how he looked and the, the scars in his body when he died. That he, he was able to come back to them and appear before them so that they could, that he could be recognized. So again, an indication that when you appear, it's not going to be like, like, who are you? That people who, who knew you will recognize you when you choose to appear in the flesh. So we see then this nature of the resurrection of the first fruits. So there's, there's different resurrections, but here Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about the first fruits. Christ is the first of the first fruits. But let's see in Matthew 27 a preview of the first fruits resurrection. A preview. Just to give us a taste of this resurrection. Although it's not the resurrection to glory, but it is a first fruits resurrection. If we look at Matthew 27 and verse 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, he died. He yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks tore. And listen to verse 52. So Christ died, and it was such a climactic event in creation. And in verse 52, it says, and the graves were opened. The graves were opened. That means people who were dead. We've had their funeral service. We've mourned for them. We've accepted our loss. We were getting on with life without them. Difficult as that is. And now Christ dies and their graves are opened. And many bodies, not of everybody or anybody, but many bodies of the saints which slept arose. So here they're arising back to physical life. But here we see how God can select from the grave which doors can open and which ones remain closed. And it was the saints, hand-picked, that he brought back to life. And they came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. So you're telling me that you saw so-and-so? I'm like, no way. And then another person, I saw him too. And someone else says, we sat and had a meal together. Well, by the time I'm hearing all of these reports, it has to be true. And probably I'll end up running into the person as well to see with my own eyes. They really did come back to life. They went into Jerusalem, they went into the holy city, and they appeared unto many. So it's like you could imagine the, uh, uh, just the excitement and the amazement and the foretaste of the dead really do come back to life. 
And God can order that. It's not like everybody comes back to life at once. Now, when the centurion that they were that and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the son of God. So he came to earth. That was his first coming. He died. He was resurrected. We had a foretaste of the resurrection of the saints. But they came back to physical life. When he returns. He's going to open the graves of the saints again, this time to glory. And we see this foretaste of his ability to separate the saints from everybody else. And so these saints and those of us who remain will be brought up to join him in the air. And this is what we have to see very, very clearly. And now that we've established that this, this, is, this is life, what we're living now, it's, it's kind of like life. It's a kind of life. But not really. And the reason I say not really, just stop eating. Stop drinking. Stop breathing. And let's see how that goes. Right? So it's a very uh, temporal, very fragile, very precarious existence that we have. Will we make it home today? I hope so. Will we be here next week? I hope so. But we've had it where we've said goodbye to brethren, see you next week, and then we don't see them next week. That's how fragile this existence is. So it's a kind of life, but not really. It's kind of a, it's almost like a dream that we're going to wake up from, and then we'll be alive. So this is what we need to take hold of. And when we have this vision, and we understand very clearly what we're being called to, we're going to clean up our act. Perversion shouldn't be named among us. And I'll just say, for those of you who may be listening to us, if you're involved in perversion, you need to sharpen your your vision. The only reason we get caught up in perversion is we've we've lost the vertical hold. We've lost sight of the vision. And we, and we think it's okay to be involved in corruption. And we're not seeing very how clearly it is that Christ is coming with his reward and true life. And whatever we're enjoying today, it's going to leave a bitter taste in our mouth. We're going to think, how, I, I gave up all of this for a bowl of soup? 1 John 2. 1 John 2. Pardon me, I'm going to do it again. Use an analogy that half of us may not be able to relate to. I think you know you're getting old when you, your stories, half the audience can't relate to them. When we were growing up, and I shared this with my wife, and she said, yes, us too. Exact same experience. There would come a day when my mother would say, today, or she would say, tomorrow, it's time to defrost the freezer. Do you guys have that? Defrost the freezer. Today, the freezers defrost themselves. But back in the day, we had to choose a day to say, okay, we've had enough. Why? Because when you open the fridge and then you open the freezer, that little cavity called the freezer, and it was little, it just started to fill with ice. And, and the cavity got so small 
you couldn't get in and out of it anymore. And it's like, okay, enough. And we would spend the better part of the day defrosting the freezer. It would start with my mom boiling. Uh, is this something you guys are looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. Some of you had this, yes? Um, it started with boiling a hot pot of water and putting that in the freezer. And then that would start to melt the ice. And then we would take something to chip away at the ice, chip away at the ice, and then put in, take that pot off, put another pot in, chip away at the ice. Yes, we really, people really did live like this. <laughs> so finally, at the end of the day, we would chip away and have a functional freezer again. And then the process would start again. When I said last week, when I opened, that there are brethren who hold grudges from one Passover to another, that cavity is closing. Our spiritual hearts are hardening. And we need to chip away at that ice. We can't allow that. The, the, the freezer becomes dysfunctional at some point. It's, so, it's, so, it's, doing, it's freezing, but it's to the point where it's no longer useful. And I'll tell you, brethren, it, it breaks my heart to say it. If we are going from Passover to Passover, carrying these grudges against each other, the, the level of dysfunction is unacceptable. Can we, can we imagine in our mind's eye, you're in the kingdom, I'm in the kingdom, we both love God, but we hate each other. Is, is this, does this make any sense? We need to chip away at that ice. 1 John 2 and verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him. That when he shall appear, and this is what we're looking forward to, when he shall appear, we may have confidence. A lot of people are, just by the fact that this is written, as he wrote it, as John wrote it, it means that a lot of people, when Christ appears, are not going to be confident. The wicked are going to be terrified, and the hypocrites in Zion are also going to be terrified. We can't, be, we, we can't be in that category, but we will be if we think we're getting away with it. Take my little device, my little room while nobody's watching. I think I'm getting away with it. And now Christ returns, and I have no confidence. I'm terrified like the wicked. This is why we need Passover. Clean up our act. Defrost the freezer. So when he appears, we can have joy and confidence and look forward. This is it. This is what we've been looking for. This is what we've been waiting for. This is our God and this is our glory. And here's our reward. Because of how we're living now. Sowing the seed toward the future. Not getting caught up in the here and now. When he shall appear, we may have confidence implying some may not, and not be ashamed, implying some may be ashamed, before him at his appearing. First John 3 and verse 1, Behold, behold, this is, this is um, a visionary word. This is that vertical hold. Behold, really see this. What manner of love, the, the degree of love, and the nature of the love, 
that the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. We're, we're, we're the sons of God. The, the Creator, in, in orchestrating this plan, has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world doesn't know us. So let's not be surprised if the world doesn't know us. There's something happening on the earth they have no clue. That's okay. Eventually they'll know. But today they have no clue. Therefore, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. Beloved. A term of endearment. Beloved. It doesn't matter, brethren, if we've made mistakes. It doesn't matter if our vision has been blurred. It doesn't matter if we've, we've hurt others as long as we repent. And, and that we, every Passover should heighten our need for repentance. It should heighten our need for each other. It should heighten our vision of the future. He says, beloved. That's how loved you are, that you're the sons of God, you're beloved. Now are we the sons of God. But it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. We, do, we don't have a full grasp of what it's going to be like when we assemble when Christ is here. In our new bodies. We don't fully have this full, we have an idea, we don't fully know. So, he's going to appear. We don't fully know what we shall be, but this is what we do know. When he shall appear, we shall be like him. So what we just read in John, where he could move without regard for physical obstacles, that's how he was after his resurrection into glory. And then John says here that when he appears, we shall be like him. So we get a clue, a hint. What we do know for sure is we're going to be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We'll see him face to face. Our God, our creator, our elder brother, our husband. We will see him face to face because we will be like him. We'll be in the same category that, that, John, that um, Paul was talking about. Saying like, don't you get it? When you look at the animal kingdom, don't you see that the, the flesh is different? Did you enjoy your steak last night? Wasn't that different from the fish you had the night before or the week before? Don't you see that human bodies and animal bodies are different? And then don't you see that heavenly bodies are totally different from terrestrial? And that even in the heavenly bodies, there are differences? Well, we're going into that whole different category. And there's going to be differences of glory. But that's the other category. And we're going to see him because we will be like him. We'll be in that category. Of bodies. We shall see him as he is. And then he says this. So, this is what we need to understand. And then he says this, if you understand this. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself. <laughs> this, is, this is like an immediate logical conclusion. You're married and you're committing adultery. It's because you don't have this hope. You're single and you're committing fornication. 
it's because you don't have this hope. You're alone and you're dabbling in pornography, it's because you don't have this hope. But if you do have this hope, it's like, men and brethren, what shall we do? How do I get out of this insanity? Because I want to be a part of this. Well, how do you get out of it? You purify yourself, even as he is pure. We're going to be like him. We're going to see him as he is because we're going to be like him. So once we get that vision, then now, while we're sowing the seed, we're purifying ourselves because he's pure. So we're going to be like him now so we can be like him then. Whoever commits sin also transgresses the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. So we don't have to be confused. I wonder if I'm sinning. Look at the law. Look what you're doing. Do they reconcile? And you know that he was manifested. He appeared. He came to earth to take away our sins. This is why we need Passover. We're sinful. We're impure. But we have this hope. And he has validated our hope. By saying, I have come to take away your impurity. And this is why we're in this covenant and why we take it so seriously. Because we have this vision. Whosoever abides in him sins not. That is, we don't have this lifestyle of sin. Whoever has this repeated lifestyle of sin has not seen him, neither known him. It's obvious. You can fool us. I can fool you. We can't fool God. And when he appears... Those who have, like him, been trying to purify himself, purify ourselves in this life, when he appears, he will recognize us, even if we're in the grave, and we'll be part of this harvest. Whoever sins has not seen him, neither known him. Little children, don't let anybody deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So this constant parallel between Christ in the future, and us in the future, and us now, and how Christ lived when he was here. So we've got to live like him when he was here, purifying ourselves, so that when he appears, we will be like him, see him face to face, be in that other category, and leave this plane. And this is what has to be clear to us. Acts 2. There is a dark force that's spreading over the earth. It's like the sun is setting on the earth, the whole earth. And darkness is covering the earth. And in that darkness, there is an evil, corruptible force. And it's, taking, it's, it's, it's capturing the human mind. That I can remember in high school, studying history, something they don't do anymore deliberately, studying history and just being appalled at how evil human beings were. And scratching my head and saying, how could they let this happen? I would never let this happen. I would never do that. How did they let this happen? And now as an adult, I'm like, okay, I get it. I see it so clearly. Everybody wants to fit in. Everybody wants to, to, to say and do the right things to fit in. Even if it's evil. 
oh, oh I'll say the right, I, yes, I'll virtue signal, can I be in the club? And so the very, th- all the host- hostilities and, and uh, corruption and, and torture that I studied in history books, now it's right in front of me. And everyday people that we know are getting caught up in it. How easily they could flip a switch and we turn on each other because I want to know your vaccination status. What's your vaccination status? Oh, how dare you? You're trying to kill grandma. Just like that. And then just like that, they turn the switch off. Okay, now, now you're okay. You're not vaccinated? Oh, come on, you can, eat, you can eat here now. You can come visit now. Just like that. How easily they turn it on and turn it off. And how easily intelligent human beings, or maybe I should say human beings with brains that are meant to have intelligence, how easily we can behave like hostile fools to the point where any day you can walk on the street and be harassed and be brutalized by anybody. It just depends on what's the programming today. This is a corrupt, corrupt, corrupt society. And we're losing everything. Our, our best days are behind us. I'm sorry to report this. Our best days are behind us. As far as this, this chapter of human history is concerned. Our best days are before us when Christ turns the, the chapter and says, okay, now, now, now I introduce the kingdom of God. On this side of the kingdom, I'm really, really sorry. For within the covenant of God, all of our social justice warriors, mostly young people, but not all. You have some elderly people who should know better, who should be educating their children, who are instead running after their children and letting their children lead them into social justice nirvana, which is hell. All this social justice, every dimension of social justice war, every dimension of it was designed to bring down the West. And now we are watching in real time the West in free fall. And brethren, all I can tell you is it's okay. It's horrifying. A world that abandons Christian values is a horrifying world. A world where the, the values of China or Russia or Saudi Arabia or Iran or Venezuela or Colombia, a world where their value system is extant, is a horrifying world. And all we have done in every form of social justice, from climate to racial to everything they call, uh, anything, anything they call justice and they put some sort of preamble before it, it's all designed to destroy Western civilization. And they've won. They've won. And now the West is in free fall. Get ready. Take a solid stance. This is going to be ugly. People you know and love are going to demonstrate an, uh, uh, a level of, of hostility that you didn't know was possible. Because that's the zeitgeist of the time. 
And we need to be ready. Every time you fill up the pump and you see the gas price going up and up and up, let that be symbolic of the wealth of the West leaving and going elsewhere. Your expense is someone else's income. And collectively, as North America, we could fuel the whole world. But far be it from us to not go green. We, we must go green and encourage others to sell the oil that we could produce back to us, even though we could produce it in a much cleaner way than them. The whole thing is a lark. And it's designed to weaken the West. So every single time we fill up the, at the pump, and they refuse to turn the pipelines on in North America, where we could fuel the whole world. We are enriching our enemies. Saudi Arabia is becoming stronger. Iran is becoming stronger. Russia is becoming stronger. Even failed states like Iran and Venezuela are becoming stronger while we are failing. And it will come to a point where everybody and everybody will be happy to go to war with us. Because we depend on them for energy, and they'll refuse to give it to us. It's, it, it's, it's horrific where we're going. And the people that we have put, sorry, I was going to say the people that we have put into office. I think this is one time when I can say, and pardon me for saying it this way, the people that you have put into office. I've never voted in my life, and I never will. Because by the time I got to be a voting age, I realized I want nothing to do with this world. But I don't say you shouldn't vote. I pardon me for saying that. Bad Adrian. I shouldn't say that. We should, we should vote. And, and I know brethren who've come from communist countries see the, the need to vote, but we should do so intelligently. And our brethren in the, uh, in the south of the border in America, boy, oh boy, have you done it. I've never seen in over a year, the current leader, I've never seen him hug the American flag. I know I saw the previous leader do that many times, just hug the American flag. And this is what Bill Watson was warning over and over again. There's a difference between nationalism and globalism. And here in Canada, can't, there's no such thing as Canada. Have we noticed that? When you see these truckers come and peacefully protest, which is the right of a Canadian, Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and when you see them crushed, the reason they're crushed is the leader doesn't care about Canadians. In the Bible, we talk about satraps, that they're part of a global system. And every decision that he's making has to do with the global agenda. And the fact that we crush Canadians in the process, there's no Canada. The West is gone. And I, for one, I'm sorry about that. I am really, really, on a human level, I'm very proud of what, what the Western civilization has accomplished. As, as carnal human beings, what the West has accomplished and what, what it enabled us to accomplish as individuals, it's gone. And now we live in this extremely corrupt, evil, vicious society that is getting darker and darker. Acts 2, verse 37. When these brethren here in Jerusalem on Pentecost were being educated here in verse 37, they learned what they had done, and when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, 
hopefully, we are pricked in our heart. When we understand the glory that's before us, the sinfulness within us, the love God has for us, and our dysfunction, hopefully we're pricked in the heart. They were pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? These are people who knew God. They were in the covenant community. They just finally reached this point where we've got to be right. We've got to do right. And hopefully, brethren, we're at that point where we know we've got to do right. And many of us are here. Maybe we're not baptized. Well, what do you do? He says, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. And, and they didn't need months and months of counseling. Repent and be baptized. And they said, yes, we repent. And they were baptized. Because they understood. And we have many among us that understand. We just need to know, are you committed? Do you want to be a part of this? Do you understand how quickly everything is vanishing before our very eyes? The West is in free fall. And I don't want to be overly dramatic, but we don't know if we'll have another Passover together in this, place, in this location, in this way, as a congregation. We don't know. The West is in free fall. So time is running out. We need to get serious. They were serious. They re- well, we have to do something. What do you do? Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as we come into Passover, we need to discern the Lord's body. And Passover is for the baptized. And there are many of us, like, we're ready. Let's get baptized. We're ready. We've been hanging around. We've been educated. We know. Let's be baptized so we can participate in this Passover and in the glory that is to come. And some of us, maybe we were baptized in a Sunday-keeping church. We have to say we do not acknowledge that baptism. To be baptized, you have to repent. To repent, you have to know what sin is. You need someone who can tell you this is what sin is. Do you repent of this? And then you say, yes, you repent, and then you can be properly baptized. So nothing, to, nothing if we have not been properly baptized to say, yes, I'm ready, let's be baptized so that I can participate in the remission of sins, the receipt of the Holy Spirit, and the glory that is to come. Verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. This is the promise. It's to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And he doesn't call everybody. And we can't force everybody. We have to acknowledge there's different types of soil. And some are just not ready. So hopefully that's down the road for them. But for those of us who are ready, who do acknowledge the call, this promise is for us and our children. And with many other words that he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves, listen to this. With many other words did he testify and exhort. So he told them to repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. And he went on. There was many other things that he said. They're not recorded here. But Luke says that with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. This word untoward, we don't use it in English, but the underlying Greek, I don't know if you know this um, condition called scoliosis. Scoliosis. 
Um, my brother had scoliosis. It's, it's a curvature of the spine. He, he had a mild case. Some people have a very severe case. You might see somebody and they're just constantly like this. And their, their organs can't really function properly because the spine is so twisted. That, that's scoliosis. And that's where this word comes from, scolio or scolios. It's a twisted generation. It's a bent generation at, at the spinal level. And he says, you've got to save yourself from this scolios generation. If that generation was scolios, now with all of our technology and, and complete lack of any moral standards, what would he call this? And he's saying, to save yourself. Purify yourself. Get the vision. Purify yourself. Separate yourself from this corrupt generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. It didn't say, and they that gladly received his word entered into endless counseling sessions that went on for years and years. And sometime down the road in the future, they were finally baptized. We have to counsel people who come among us who have no idea. They've been observing Sunday, eating pork, who knows what they've been doing. And then God calls them, and then we've got to like go, go to the Genesis and start from the beginning, and they need the counseling. But for those who actually understand, it's like, save yourself, this is urgent. They gladly received his word, they were baptized. And the same day, were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So we will counsel accordingly. Right. We know who needs deep counseling over time, like you really need to understand, and we know who's ready. But you need to be the one to say, yes, I'm ready. Not us. James 1. Corrupt generation. Separate yourself. The, the wrath of God is coming down upon this generation. We need that wrath to pass over us. Save yourself. From this corrupt generation. James 1 and verse 13. Let no man say. When he is tempted. I'm tempted of God. All around us. And I think that's. It's really the technology. That makes this generation different. Human beings are the same. Access to filth. Is on a scale that's never been before. The, 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 the talk. I, I was um, listening to PBS, as I do. I can't really say it's for entertainment purposes. It's more for like, what what is the other side even thinking? What 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 are people what are people's minds being infected with? And so I'm listening to PBS, and the commentator is talking about uh, Florida, the "Don't Say Gay" bill. I don't know if you've heard about this. Don't say gay. So it's a bill that um, Ron, Governor Ron DeSantis, I think, is passing that says for kindergarten and grades one and two, don't bring sexual filth into the classroom. These children don't need to learn about transgenderism. They don't need to learn about sexual acts. Keep that out of the classroom. So they've now branded this as don't say gay. You're homophobic. And to hear the commentator, I was just like... This is incredible. The commentator's up on his high horse, and he's like, this is deplorable. He's morally outraged that Ron DeSantis would have the gall 
to be anti-transgender against harming children. And I'm like, what, what upside down world did I land in? Where, where teaching children sexual acts is a good thing. And saying, we don't want to corrupt the children, that's evil. This is where we are. We've got a suit and tie, looks respectable, and speaking filth and defending filth and perversity. And you, the Christian standard, you're the morally corrupt one. This is where we are. But in a society like this, where the filth is all around, it's easy to be tempted. But when we're tempted, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither does he tempt any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. The, the neuroscientists today say uh, neurons that fire together, wire together. And so what they've noticed is whenever we do something, there, there are neuro, neurons that fire together that create these synapses, and then they wire together. That, that's a new pathway. And the more we repeat that act, the more these neurons wire together to the point where they can create a superhighway. And you become very efficient in that thing. Whether it's gratitude, fellowship, prayer, or hatred, holding grudges, sexual perversion. It's whatever we do repeatedly. These create these super highways in the brain that it becomes very difficult to break away from that. So the way that it's described biblically, every man when he's tempted is drawn away by his own lust, your own desire. And enticed. It's your desire that entices you. Some, something is, appears here, and I'm like, well, isn't that interesting? Let, let me just take a little look. Why am I enticed? Because of my own lust. The same thing appeared to you, and you didn't even see it. Because it has to be in you to draw you. So we have to get these things out of us, so when this filth appears, it means nothing to us. It doesn't register. But when it does register, when it's conceived, it begins, the neurons are wiring together. When it's conceived, it brings forth sin. We finally act on it. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And this is when the adulterer says, what did I do? And, you know, often these adulterers, you know, it's, um, it's imagination. They're conjuring up an image of this person in their mind that's not real. And the minute they have to deal with reality, person's now sick. They've got a serious illness. I, I've got cancer, let's say. Oh, I'm out of here. I didn't sign up for cancer. I signed up for fun and games. When we marry till death do us part, in sickness and in health, in riches and in poverty, that's reality. That's a real relationship. And when you have sexual union with that kind of commitment, that's real union. That's real love and affection. This, oh, you're so beautiful. Let's commit adultery. Oh, you've got cancer. See you later. It's an illusion. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. Look at um, verse 1 of chapter 4. From where do wars and fightings come among you? How is it that among you, we know uh, we see war and rumors of war 
as the world is being reconfigured and the West is collapsing. But in the church, where do these hostilities come from? Come they not, hence, even of your own lusts that war in your members? This is a problem. These desires that we have and that we carry around with us, it's not that they lead us to sin. They lead us to conflict with each other. You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. So this is really the key that we want to zero in on as we ask ourselves, okay, I get the vision. This is the temporary field. We're sowing our future body. We're, we're sowing the relationship we will have with God eternally. I get it now. I, I, I'm, I'm striving for the first resurrection. I realize now I've got to purify myself. I realize this Passover matters. I really want to take it seriously so that I can come through it and come out the other end at a higher level than I am now. I've got to purify myself. How do I do that? It's right here. James gives it to us. Lust. Lust not meaning, oh, there's a beautiful woman, I have lust, or beautiful man, I have lust. Uh, lust meaning a carnal desire, natural desires, the things that I want for myself. This is the root of the problem. When these desires are not in God, when they run wild, neurons that fire together, wire together, and they become an obsession sometimes, this is what causes all the problems, personally and interpersonally. So how do we get at lust or desire? How do, we, how do we tame it so that we can be purified? Look at Matthew 26 as we look to Passover. Matthew 26. I'm wrapping up. Are you still with me? All right, let me wrap up here. Give me, give me 10 minutes. Matthew 26, <clears throat> look at Christ's example. Matthew 26 and verse 50, Jesus said unto him, Friend, where have you come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. So this is an important verse for us, verse 50. Jesus is going somewhere. He's intercepted and he's taken. I don't know if you've ever been intercepted and taken. I, I have. I was working for a company out of California, and I was living in Toronto, and I was flying to Chicago, and I was going through customs, and they were asking me questions like, who am I meeting with, and why am I going there? And they said, come with me. And I'm looking at my watch and thinking, you know, the plane's about to take off. They said, come with me. And they took me to this little room, and they said, explain it to us again. And they interrogated me further. So I'm explaining everything, and then finally I had to explain to them, look, my flight's about to go in 10 minutes. Can we wrap this up? And they said, you're not going anywhere. You're a Canadian. You're coming into our country to sell American software to an American, and there's nothing special about you. Why are you doing this? Why can't an American do this? And they sent me home. I, I just I was like, wow. First of all, I didn't realize how powerful they were as they had gun, a gun on their hip. And, and secondly, I just assumed I could just do what I want. And I was intercepted and taken away. So my will was overtaken 
by somebody else's will. And that's what happened to Christ. He had his plans for the day, his plans for the evening, and he was intercepted and taken. His will was overtaken. And behold, one of them, which were with him, which were with Jesus, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and struck off his ear. He understood what this meant. No way you're doing this to my master. I'm going to re-exert his will with my force because he should have his way, not you. Then said Jesus unto him, put up again your sword into its place for all they that have that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Don't you know, don't you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. So in other words, I'm not without power. If I wanted to, I can overpower them and have my way. But I'm going to subjugate my desire for my way because there's a bigger vision. This is our example. This is how we purify. That our desires cannot be so important that they make us dysfunctional. That when we have a bigger vision, suddenly we can tame our desires. Maybe it's not that important that I fly to Chicago today. Maybe it's not that important that I get my way. Maybe it's not that important that I'm even alive tomorrow. That there's a bigger vision. And so everything I want, everything I stand for, is now contextualized by that bigger vision. And this is the example of Christ. He says in verse 54, How then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. So he says in verse 56, All this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. They didn't understand. We have to understand. There's a bigger vision. And whatever our will is, whatever our desire is, we need to be willing to let it go. In Luke 18, in Luke 18 and verse 31, he took up the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. He was singular. Let's go. Let's get this on. What does it mean we're going to Jerusalem? It means I'm about to experience the most excruciating pain any human has ever experienced. Let's go. Because there's something bigger. So my personal desires, what I want, I'm going to override that with this bigger vision. And he says in verse 32, he'll be delivered to the Gentiles. He shall be mocked, spitefully entreated, spat upon, and they shall scourge him and put him to death. The third day he shall rise again. And they didn't understand any of this. In 1 Corinthians 11, we won't go there. We'll conclude in 1 Peter 4. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul, in fact, let's just pick up one verse in 1 Corinthians 11. There's one verse, we'll go. Because the Apostle Paul is trying to explain to the Corinthian brethren just how understanding the Passover rightly is going to resolve all their conflict. He's going to heal their dysfunction. But one of the things he says here in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, we'll just pick up the one verse. He says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. So I've faithfully passed on to you what I received from the Lord. What was that? So the, the Lord taught Paul this. And Paul felt it important to teach the Corinthians. 
something that the Lord taught him directly. What was it? That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. How about that? Can you and I do that? Because that's what he says. He says, um, as often as we take this bread and drink this cup, we show the Lord's, the Lord's death. Not his birth. We show his death. The night that he was betrayed, he took bread. So we're going to gather together and we're going to take bread. Modeling the Lord. Saying that we have a vision that's so clear, that's so high, that's so real, that even if we are betrayed, we're good. Because there's something bigger. This is how we purify ourselves. Let's conclude in 1 Peter chapter 4. The very night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. That's where we have to come to. There's nothing going on on this earth that's going to get me all flustered and engaged and obsessed and I'm going to fight for it. And No. Even to the point of betrayal, I'm good. There's something bigger. There's something better. It's all going to work out in the end. This is, this is the Passover mindset and purification that we need. And it all, it's all rooted in can we overcome our personal desires with the vision that God gives us. So I think we all understand we have to pray, we have to fast, we have to meditate, we need to fellowship. Nothing new. But this is what we need to do. We need to plug into God's energy to resist. God says, um, without me, you can do nothing. He really means that. We are up against some horrendous times ahead. Terrible. We've had taste of it, glimpses of it. It's coming. We're in free fall. We need to plug in. Without me, you can do nothing. Fasting helps us to subjugate our desires. We need to meditate to make the vision real. And we need to fellowship iron sharpening iron. First, Peter, the same person who fled from Christ when Christ was in his moment of trial. He didn't understand then, but through the Holy Spirit, he came to understand. We have to have this level of maturity. Things that we don't understand now, we don't want to suffer. Nobody wants to have pain. Everybody likes comfort. We need to be willing to give it all up and reach this level as we face the hostility of of globalists and antichrists. Verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. This this is the vision. This this is what Passover does. It's like, okay, I get it now. Been keeping Passover for what, 35 years. Now I get it. I'm showing the Lord's death. The same night he was he took bread, he was betrayed. I get it. So now I'm going to rejoice because I'm participating in Christ's sufferings. That when his glory shall be revealed, that's what we're looking forward to, his appearing. The whole world is going to be see his glory. John told us that. Now Peter's saying, when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. That's what's coming, this exceeding joy. Now, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, Christ tells us in Matthew 24, we, we will be. But when that happens, you're blessed. So we don't have to be fearful of what's coming. We need to understand this through a Passover lens that we are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God 
rests upon you. So when, when this happens, we need to see spiritually that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of glory is resting upon us. On their part, that is God and Christ, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer. Why would you suffer as a murderer? Why would you and I suffer as a murderer? Almost seems ridiculous. Except when you're facing such hostility and you see your loved ones rounded up and tortured in front of you. And then you're stewing and you're like, they can't get away with this. And yeah, they're getting away with it. And that's the order of the day. And then there's all those around you saying, we've got to fight back. We've got to kill these guys. And we get swept up in this. That's the future. Civilization is slipping away. And it's going to be raw human nature. And Christians are going to want to fight back and kill. But in this time, let none of us participate in that. Or as a thief, where the economy is just shattered. And we think we have to steal to get by. Or as an evildoer, we've spoken all at length about evil doing. Or as a busybody in other men's matters. So don't suffer that way. Adrian's in prison, why? He killed somebody, why? He, he just had enough of them. Oh well. That suffering of being in prison because I killed somebody, that's on me. Adrian's in prison, why? He was preaching the gospel. Why? Because the people had never heard about Christ and what they were doing was wrong and he wouldn't back down and now he's in prison. Glory, the spirit of glory rests upon him. He was preaching the name of Christ. So there's a different way of suffering. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. So have that clear vision of the Passover, that this is part of the package. But let him glorify God on this behalf. This is a blessing for us. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it begin, if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God. And, and, and we can do this because of the Passover rehearsal. The Passover mindset, the Passover perspective. Now when we have to face this, we can suffer according to the will of God. And we can do so and commit the keeping of our souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Who when he appears, he says to all the saints, up, up from the grave. Adrian, thank you everyone for joining us here and online. I invite you to rise as we close services with a couple of hymns. Please turn to page 257 for our first one, 257. Just as I am without one plea.
Sorry about that if I did. 239. We'll finish on 239. Things happen and starts. Riley hamster wheel starts turning and then we'll finish on page 239. Never alone. And then we'd, uh, pleasure to have uh, a guest here, longtime elder in God's Church, George Carter, close us in prayer. Page 239.
I feel a beaten no way. My Savior stands between. He stands to shield me from danger when earthly friends are gone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Father God, Lord Jesus Christ, at your right hand, thank you for the wonderful message we've received here today. Thank you for inspiring the message. Thank you for opening our ears, our minds and our hearts. And we ask you please to keep it in our minds and hearts as we go forward from this day. We thank you for the Sabbath, for the wonderful reminder, week by week, that your kingdom is coming, that the seventh day is close by now, that we are at the end of the six days, that time is very real, you have made it, for man in particular, no matter what else has gone on in eternity before or eternity on beyond. Help us to understand that you and your spirit are far, far, far more real than anything we are or have ever known. Ask you, Father, please, for that measure of your spirit that will Convince us of the reality beyond this life. We do live in very dangerous times. Do not know exactly where our own people are leading us into danger. But we do know that the time of Jacob's trouble is very, very close. So we ask you please, Her Spirit, 
of faith and of courage and of hope and of love which you have given to us and that we might understand this in the light of the Passover soon coming again. We thank you for everything. We ask your blessing and our dismissal here today, safety going home and throughout the coming week and give you thanks for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Just a few announcements, brethren, if you need to stay standing, it'll be quick. Uh, I was reminded during Pastor Adrian's sermon, he was talking about the price of gas. I'd like to let our American friends in on the hit. $1.93 a liter here in Canada. I did some quick calculations from liters to gallons in the exchange rate, and it's $9.52 a gallon. So they're talking about 5 and $6 gas in California. It's $9.52 a gallon here in Canada. It dropped a little bit. I noticed it dropped 25 cents a liter overnight. I guess I... Filling up before Sabbath started was uh, painful in the pocket, even though it did obey God. Um, quick, uh, a couple of announcements. Uh, Bible study again is this week. We're reaching Psalm 115, so Wednesday at 7.30 on Rumble and Facebook Canada uh, page. Uh, uh, daylight savings time begins overnight, so this is the weekend we lose one hour of sleep. Monday's the uh, most number of accidents on the, in rush hour of the year because of that loss of one hour, so... Get some extra sleep tonight if you can to make up for it. And, uh, again, the holy days are coming up in 38, four days. Uh, everything will be here. Uh, Thursday, April 14th is Passover. We'll get into timing a little bit later. February 15th or April 15th, uh, Friday. And then the, the holy days begin on Sabbath, the 16th and cl- concluding on Friday, the April 22nd. So that's it for the announcements today. We'll just have a final scripture. We'll go to 1 Corinthians 15. We'll read a section uh, that was not read today, beginning back in verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ isn't risen. And if Christ isn't risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Amen.